Well, good morning and welcome to Better Life Church. We're so glad that you took time out of your day to worship with us. I'm telling you what, come on, can we get up for our worship team? They do an amazing job every single week. I know uh, delivering it right there into your home or if you're on the treadmill or if you're somewhere all over the world watching this, man, we are so thankful that you tuned in right here to Better Life Church. And hopefully God has definitely been using this series to speak into your life, the way of Jesus. So if, if the Lord has, has shared some insight with you or has spoken to you over the last uh, several weeks, right now, right now below, right here in the comments, no matter what platform you're on, maybe on YouTube or Church Online or Facebook or you're watching on the app, Right there in the comment, right now, just, just type, like, what is something that the Lord has taught you through this series so far? I love for you guys to interact. Uh, let us know. We love to keep up with that. We have hosts right there chatting with you as well. If I could chat with you, I guess I could chat with you. I mean, I guess I can get online and chat. I don't know if it's really delayed in the chat room or not. But hey, you know what? We're just glad that you tuned in with us today. We love to hear from you how the Lord is speaking into your life. So we're in this series called The Way of Jesus. And uh, last week, I kind of uh, talked about our logo. So maybe if you're new with us, hanging with us, like, what does our logo mean? Is it a barcode? Like, you know, like a, you, you scan something. Like, what does this actually mean? And it does have a meaning. It, it, every time you take a next step, because our mission here at Better Life Church is to help you follow Jesus so that you can experience a better life. We believe that following Jesus is a series of taking next steps. And every time you take a step, if you look here, your perspective grows. Your perspective gets Bigger. And so one way we can we want to help you follow Jesus is one we want you to learn about Jesus. That's the first step. Just gotta to get to know him. You know, you could get to know him by reading your Bible, you can get to know him by listening to sermons, you could get to know him by jumping in a group and discussing uh, the Bible with your friends. However, you figured out, we want you to learn about Jesus, and it's our mission to help you do everything we can to learn about Jesus. And then that was last week. So if you missed last week, then we talked about, hey, what does it mean to learn about Jesus? How do you learn about Jesus? Why is it important to learn about Jesus? Go back and check out last week. Then today, we're gonna talk about the second one here. We want you to love like Jesus. Now, how do you love like Jesus? You know, how does that work? And what does that look like? And then next week, we're gonna talk about leading like Jesus. We'll finish up this series and we'll jump right in to the series for June. Now, real quick before I commercial break, before we jump into the message, I know a lot of people like today, you know, all over uh, the state of Kentucky, churches open back up and churches begin to meet and, uh, and, and with, strict, with really strict guidelines and restrictions. And a lot of people have called and emailed, asked, you know, hey, what's up? What's the next step? When is Bell Life Church opening their doors? I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I did a Facebook Live and talked about obviously through the month of May that our doors obviously will still be closed. But listen, you can't stop the church. You can't, you can't close the church. Maybe the doors are. But man, the word of God is still going out. People's lives are still being saved. We're seeing people saved almost every week right here by preaching and communicating God's word. So, you know, God is doing something. So don't think God's not working, God's not doing anything. But however, when we look at the restrictions and we look at the guidelines, and when you're a church that is this size, and uh, we, you know, we have 350 plus kids between both campuses, 1,500 plus people trying to get back into a service. How do you do that and all that stuff? And so we are diligently working, doing our very best to figure out, strategize, and how do we make it happen? Because listen, we want to worship together we do definitely want to worship with each other, uh, but for the foreseeable future, and I'm just going to go and share this. We talked with the team and talked about how we're going to do this, but most likely, unless something changes, we'll keep you in the loop, but unless something changes, we're going to continue our online all the way through the month of June. So we're going to finish up May next week, and through the month of June, we'll continue right here online worshiping uh, as we continue to figure out how do, we, how do we maneuver. Maybe some of the restrictions would change before then. 
maybe something dramatically would change before them. No clue, but here's what we know. It's still not gonna stop us from preaching the gospel, getting the word out, and having some good, good times with each other. You know, maybe one thing you like to do starting in June now that the, the band's kind of getting back to groups of certain sizes, smaller sizes, is maybe on Sunday morning you wanna grab, or, or maybe Sunday evening at 5 p.m. you can watch this live. Grab your family and grab a friends of your family. Maybe a couple of you can get together and you can watch the sermon together and have like a little mini house church setting. Maybe you want to grab your small group and your small group starting in June. You might want to grab your small group and meet together, watch the sermon, maybe talk about it afterwards, you know. Whatever it takes that you can begin to interact in small groups, we, we, we encourage you to do that. If that's you and you want to do that, maybe like I don't have a group and I don't know exactly what to do. Maybe you have a friend. Do you have a friend you can invite over or, or maybe a family member, a sister, and bring her family over and you can watch the service together have church together, and then discuss it. So whatever works for you, we love for you to figure out uh, something. So come on, let's jump in today. We're gonna talk about loving like Jesus and our kind of our foundational passage. You could go to Luke chapter 10, hang tight right there with me in Luke chapter 10. But in John chapter 15, I talked about this the last couple of weeks in this series because we had Mother's Day. We took a break from Mother's Day. Is John chapter 15, Jesus talking about, if you will bear fruit, you will prove to be my disciple. And one reason God wants us to bear fruit is show the world that we're followers of Jesus, right? Because this whole series is about the way of Jesus. How do I become a disciple? How do I follow after Jesus? Last week, we talked about if you remain in me and my words remain in you. God's word, the scripture, the text, that's why it's important to learn the Bible, study the Bible so God's word will remain in me. Ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. For my father is honored by this, that you, much, that you will bear much fruit and prove to be my disciple. So let's, real quick, John 15, verse nine. Just as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, just as my heavenly Father has loved me, I've also loved you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to remain in my love. I want you to remain right there in my love. And watch this, verse 10. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love. So there's something about being obedient to the commands of God. Just as I've obeyed my Father's commandments and remained in his love. I've told you these things so that your joy may be, that your joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Verse 12, here it is. Here's a commandment. Now, this is not a suggestion. This is not, let me think about it, maybe. This is a command from Jesus himself, from the text, from the scripture, from God. Here's the commandment to love one another just as I have loved you. You know, I don't need to jump ahead. Or I wonder sometimes the reason why we don't really love people the way that God wants us to love them is because we really truly don't understand how much God loves us, how unconditionally God has loved us. Yet, yet while we were still sinner, Christ died for us. Have we gotten over that type of love. Now, love has different meanings, right? People use love all the time. We throw love out, love, love, love. Like, I love, you know, ice cream, or I love some hibachi. Come on, can I get a witness, right? Or I love going to the beach, or I love, you know, uh, hanging out with my family, or I love my wife. See, that's a different type of love. Every love has a little bit more meaning. So when you keep it so subjective, like, well, I get to choose who I love, and and if people are mean to me, then I don't love them. But if you're nice to me, I will love you. Of course, I love my family, but I don't know about the people outside of my family. What's the circle of my influence or the circle of the people that I can love? So show me those types of people, and that's the ones I want to love. That's a lot of times our mindset. You're good to me, I'm good to you. You mean to me, I mean to you. You talk bad about me on Facebook, I'm going to slander you on Facebook. You lift me up on Facebook, I still probably will slander you on Facebook. You know, I mean, like how, how do you really, truly love people? 
So one of the most famous parables in the Bible that deals with what I want to conquer and talk about today and teach today is found in Luke chapter 10. It's probably one of the most famous passages in all or famous parables in all the Bible, and it's called the Good Samaritan. Now we have, there's, there's organizations called the Good Samaritan and you know, how to help people in need. And when somebody needs something, that you be a good person, a good Samaritan, or be obedient to the law, obey the law, and, and, and help them out. And so in Luke chapter 10, uh, there's a background to this story that a lot of times we jump right into the parable, but we can't miss the context of what's taking place right before this. So we're going to jump into this, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. If you're ready to get started, say it out loud, say it out, say it, let's go. Crickets. No, I'm just joking. All right, here we go. Let's go. Here we go. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. I hear you through the TV. I hear you watching you there on your iPad. Here we go. Come on. Now, an expert, what? An expert. An expert. Don't miss this. Your translation may say lawyer. This is what it implies. A lawyer, not a lawyer that we think of a lawyer today. No, no. It's an expert in the religious law. Like they know the law backwards, forward, front. I mean, cross every T, dot every I. They understand the law stood up to test Jesus. So actually, in some regards, this is kind of a, um, uh, what's the I'm looking for? I, not, not, not respect because he disrespect Jesus because he was sitting down. I'll show you this in a minute. But he's like, I'm gonna challenge this. Say, hey, do you really know what the text says? So he challenges Jesus, stood up, and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So let's stop right there. Let's break this passage. Let's break down what's happening. Here's an expert of the law comes up to Jesus and wants to test him. Now, what's an expert of the law? There's two types of laws that, that they know. One was the written law. That's what we have right here in, in the Bible, right? The first five books of the Bible. We have the Torah. We have the law. This is the law of God. So we have the written actual law of God. And the written law, uh, there's a group of people called the Sadducees. You may have heard of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and you've heard of, heard of them when you read through your text. The Sadducees believed literally the word like they were right with the god's word said it that's it that means it it is literally so for instance a sadducee who would say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth which means this you touch my tooth i'm gonna touch your tooth you flipped me i flip you they literally took it as a literal go and pull someone's tooth out like if they knocked your tooth out knock their tooth out like that's literally this was the sadducees who were experts in the law. They took God's word like very conservatively, literal, 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 literal. Then there's the oral law. The oral law is laws that are outside of Moses that a lot of times that, that the Jewish custom made up or came up with to build on the laws of God. For instance, give you an example. If the law of God said, you know, don't come to the edge of the stage. This is thing, but don't go to the edge of the stage. Let's say it's a law. It's a written law. Don't go to the edge of the stage. A lot of times in the oral law, they would write a law saying, don't get five feet to the edge of the stage. Therefore, that would keep you from even thinking about or getting close enough to break God's law. So the written law says, don't go to the edge of the stage. The written law would say, stay five feet away from the edge of the stage. So they would add these written laws, these, I mean, oral laws to the written law. And and so the group that really kind of leaned more to the oral side of things were the Pharisees. They would say, it's not eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I understand you mean literally, but really what they're trying to imply, the text is, just repay what damage you've done. That's what a Pharisee would say. Just, just kind of, just repay them. I mean, don't really go yank their tooth out because they knocked your tooth out. Just repay them 
for the damage that they've done. You can see the difference. But Sadducees believe literally you cannot, do not go to the left, to the right, don't depart. You had to keep exactly word for word or jot nor tittle. It doesn't matter. You cannot break the law, word for word, literally. That's very important to know in this story. Obviously, the expert had no respect for Jesus. How do we know that? Is because, one, he's sitting down. In that century, in that time, if, if the teacher or the rabbi was teaching, you would stand up in respect to, listen, he's sitting down because now he finally stood up to what? To test Jesus. And obviously, we know his heart. When trying to test someone means to trap someone. He thought he could, you know, trip up Jesus because he's an expert, expert of the law. So he looks at Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He asked this question. Well, there's, first of all, in this time, most of the Jews were not thinking about life after death. When they think of eternal life, they weren't thinking about life after death. Where did God's chosen people, where the Jews were going to spend, you know, with God and were heading that direction? It was more, how do I have peace and harmony and shalom with God here now? Like, how do I have God's full reign and favor and blessing on my life now? How do I have harmony with my heavenly Father as I live? That's why the Bible says eternal life starts now. Eternal life doesn't begin once you die. You were already created to live forever. But right now, you can have shalom. You can have peace with God, harmony with God, and all your sins forgiven now, today, and you can experience eternal life now. You don't have to wait till you die so you can see the concept. But it's the wrong question. Why? He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Inheritance is not something that you do. You don't earn it. It's a gift. It's given to you. So right off the bat, his question is flawed. What must I do? How can I be good? How can I obey the Bible, the text, to make sure that I inherit? Well, you don't do nothing to get an inheritance. It is a gift that's given to you. Salvation is a gift from God by grace, through faith alone, not by works. We know that. We can see it in the text. Wrong question. Verse 26. He said to him, Jesus replies, what's written in the law? You're an expert of the law. What is written in the law? And how do you perceive it? How do you understand it? How do you interpret the question you just asked? That's so Jewish of Jesus. He would never answer to the question. He responds with a question. Why? Because he, this is the tactic that the teacher would do. They want you to discover it on your own, which is another great reason that Jesus uses parables. We're going to talk more about parables this summer, but why Jesus used parable is so that you would find yourself in the story and the story and you reveal yourself and the character of the story and you, aha, you have an aha moment, that's me or that's you, or I have to do that or I don't need or I need to stop doing that. So he says, very Jewish of Jesus, what's written in the law? You're an expert. How do you interpret the Bible? How do you interpret the scripture? And then... The lawyer, because he's an expert in the law, gives the greatest commandments. Look what he says. Verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Here's the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I know you've heard of that text somewhere. You might not know where it's at. You may not quoted exactly, but you know, love God with all your heart, all your mind, and you know, love your neighbor as yourself. We should love others, you know, treat others as you want to be treated, or the golden rule that you may throw out there. So the expert, he, he knows the law, and what he does is he quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5, and then he quotes Leviticus 19, 18. He says, these are the two greatest laws. Now, out of the 613 laws, a lot of times the experts and the, and the people interpreting the law argue back and forth which law is greater, there has to be equal than or less than. So if we could put the laws in order, what is breaking the Sabbath the highest, keeping the Sabbath holy, is that the highest one? 
But then Jesus says, what happens if your donkey falls into a hole on the Sabbath? Do you not get the donkey out or do you leave him in there until the next day? Are you going to break the Sabbath to help the donkey? And so what happens is a lot of times they, they try to characterize which law is greater, greater than equal, what's less. When can I break one law to fulfill another law, like the Sabbath? It's, it's law that, that your son's to be circumcised, right? But what happens if it falls on a Sabbath? Do I circumcise my son or do I keep the Sabbath holy? Do you see the dichotomy that's going back and forth in the, this time? They were arguing back and forth. Do I keep the word of God literally or is it oral tradition? Do I do exactly and I have to keep it? Or is there a kind of a grace period I can get off to the side and say, well, God understands because, and you fill in the blank. This is the battle that's happening back and forth right now in the first century. So when the man asked the question, he wants Jesus to settle this. You think you know it all, Jesus. I'm an expert law. What's the greatest? What must I do? Settle what's greater or less. Now you understand the mindset going into the story. So he says, love the Lord of God, all your heart, your mind, and then look at what Jesus says. Verse 28. You've answered correctly. That's right. End of story, end of class, end of session. You've answered correctly. Then he says, do this and you will live. So what Jesus just did, he now quotes Leviticus 18.5 back to the expert in the law, which says, if you'll keep my statutes, if you'll keep my commands and you'll do this, you will live. You will have life. Now go and do this. End of story. Great. Next, move on to the next city. However, the expert in the law was not satisfied with the answer. Why? He's trying to trap Jesus. He wants to test him. Maybe I know a little bit more than he knows. So here, what's going on, and you can see the big debate. So, verse 29, the expert wanting to, this is very key, justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Like, if I'm to love my neighbor, who then is my neighbor? This is the next, another strike too right here. He tries to justify himself. You can't justify yourself. Only God can justify you. He was trying to justify himself by his works, by his knowledge, by keeping the Torah, by keeping the law. So my faith, or not my faith, my, my position, my inheritance, my eternal life is because of keeping the Torah, Right? So I'm going to justify that I'm right and justify myself. We can't justify ourselves because we are not good enough. That's why God sent his son Jesus who died in our place and we put our faith and trust in Jesus. He justifies us, not because we're good, but because of the great work that Jesus did on the cross. Now, I know there's not an amen button right there, but man, you should be putting amen right now in the chat that we have been justified by faith, not by works and been made right with God. Therefore, we can experience eternal life today. Eternal life can begin now. But he answers the, asks the question, then who's my neighbor? Because this has been the big debate among the rabbis and the teacher in the first century and the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Who then do I have to show this love to? Who then is my neighbor? Jesus, draw me a big circle around the people that I am supposed to love as myself. Who are they? This is the big argument that's taking place in the first century. Because if you go back to Leviticus 18, 19, what he, which he quotes, it talks about that your people, the, your people don't hold a grudge against them. You're to love them and forgive them, and you're to treat them as yourself and treat them and love them as your neighbor. Well, is he talking about my people, the Israelites? What about people outside of Israel? What about people like I don't understand, don't know, don't like? What about those people? Do I have to love them? What's the law say? Would you please help me 
understand this. Now, again, he's trying to test Jesus, trap Jesus. And out of that conversation with an expert in the law comes the great story of the Good Samaritan. The great story, this great parable of the Good Samaritan. So Jesus then, okay, if you want me to go a little deeper, if you want me to make a point, if you want me to help you understand, I'm going to tell you the story. Find yourself in the story. Answer the story, because the answer to the story will be the answer that you ask to your question. Because Jesus doesn't directly answer his questions, which I love about how Jesus teaches. Look what he says in verse 30. So Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him up, went, went off, left him there, leaving him half dead. Stop. Now, Jesus is telling this story. And the assumption is that this is a Jewish man who has been robbed and beaten on his way down, who's going between Jerusalem and Jericho, which is about a 17-mile strip of road. And what I want to encourage you to do, because this road is so narrow, it's so narrow, and some places it's only 18 inches wide, and if you move, you'll slip and you'll fall off a cliff. When you think of a road, this is not like a highway, a four-way, or what you walk through and you're, you're going outside walking around your block. It's not that type of road. In fact, get on Google and Google the road to Jericho and then click images, and it's going to show you pictures of this road. This exact road still exists. It's a road from Jericho to Jerusalem, and it's this really narrow dirt and path all through the desert mountains and stuff with cliffs all around. So this is a great place where robbers were to hide out because some people would travel alone. They're 17 miles, man. Travel alone, and then they would get ambushed because you didn't see where they're coming from, and, and they would rob you on the road to Jericho. Jesus tells this story, and I want you to notice the four things that happened to him. He was stripped. He was beaten. He was abandoned. And he was robbed. That's very key. That's such a teacher in him to teach these four things, which means when you read the text and you just, if you're studying the text, you know somewhere in the story these four things are going to be given back to him because that's how Jesus taught. It's the story. If there was four here, there'd be four here. If there were three here, there would be three here. That's how they would teach. That's so Jewish of Jesus. Stripped, beaten, abandoned, and robbed. But here's the key to the whole story. He was left half dead. That right there is the key to this story. Which way it's about to go. Now that word half dead, when you go back and translate all the way back to, from the Hebrew root, it means moments away from death. This guy's not, hey, he just had a bloody nose and someone punched him in the face and he's sitting outside, he's like, hey, could you help me? Someone broke my nose, took my purse and took my money from me. No, 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 no. This guy is moments, the text, moments away from breathing his last breath. He is dying and is about to die at any moment. That's very, very, very important as we transition into the story. So Jesus says, here comes some travelers. Remember, it's a story. Man robbed, beaten, left, half dead, very, very narrow road, basically on a desert mountain somewhere, and some places 18 inches wide, which means that you couldn't go around someone who was laying there. You'd have to jump over them or step over them. That's how narrow the road is. You can go Google it, look at it. It's amazing. You can still see it today. Jesus says, let me talk to you about a first traveler that comes his way. Verse 31. Now by chance, <laughs> nothing's by chance with Jesus. Nothing's by chance, but by chance, just by chance. Remember, it's the story. A priest was going down that road, but when he saw the injured man, a Jewish man, we're, we're assuming here, and probably rightfully to assume, 
He passed by on the other side. Now, this ain't like a four lane, like he's going over on the other side, like going to curb. I mean, he, he has to either hurdle over, jump over, or just kind of slide by this man who's laying in the road. He passes him by. Now, what do we know about the priest? Because what happens when you read the story, you say, well, that priest, he's cold-hearted snake. He has no love in his heart. He doesn't love this man. He don't love his own fellow Jewish man. How could he leave someone there to die? How can he just leave someone there alone to die? And so we'll beat the priest up for being such a bad guy. He's such a bad guy. Man, I tell you, he has no love. He has no love in his heart. He doesn't help anybody in need. You priest, stubborn as can be. Wait, 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 wait. Before we judge the priest, let's understand who the priest is. The priest carried out the duties in the temple. Guess what sect the priests belonged to? The Sadducees. What did the Sadducees believe? The written, literal law. If it says it, you do it. You don't swerve to the left, you don't swerve to the right, and there's no greater law that supersedes than breaking God's law as a priest to serve in the temple. So I'm going to go to the side. He could have passed this guy in tears. He could have passed this guy with a broken heart. But the law said he could not touch him. So the priest kept the law. In Numbers, verse 19, it says, If you touch a dead person, you are unclean for seven days. And you cannot go into the temple and worship until you do a ritual purity. This guy's the priest who carries out the rituals in the temple. For him to touch this man, one, breaks the command, the law of God, two, defiles himself where he's unclean for seven days. He'd have to turn around, go back and wash and wait before he can go back. Don't look at this priest as he's just some bad guy with a bad heart and don't love people. No, 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 no. He was in love with God's word and command. And God's command superseded anything else even human life, that he would not do anything to break God's law. In fact, Leviticus 21 says, only your close relatives in the time of dying or right when they die, you could touch them. However, if you keep reading, it says, if they do die and placed in a tent, this is right there in Leviticus, they the priest, you're not allowed to go into the tent where a dead corpse is, no matter if it's your mom or your dad, or you would become unclean. Now, do you see why the Levite, I mean, sorry, why the priest passed on the other side? Not because he was cold-hearted snake. It's because he didn't want to do anything to defile God's word. He believed it so, he wanted to follow every single command and keep the Torah. Why? Because that's what God told him to do. So what happens? He passes a by on the other side. Here comes a second traveler. It's a Levite. Levites serve the priest in the temple. So if you think about it, there was like a senior pastor and then, then, then there was like an associate pastor. That, that's kind of, not in your mindset. That, that's a good way to look at it and say, but there's the pastor, then there's kind of associate. They, they help serve each other in the temple. Well, that's what the Levite did. The Levite, guess what tribe he's connected to? Sadducees, which means what? He believes the same exact thing that the priest believes, that this is God's literal word, don't break his command. So look what happens in verse 32. So too, a Levite, when he came up to the place and saw him, 
passed by on the other side. Why? Exactly the same reason the priest did. It wasn't because the leaders like, oh my gosh, there's a Jew. Stay away from him. I don't want to help him. Like, turn my eyes so I don't see him, so I don't be convicted by my conscience later. No, he says, I, we don't know. He could be in tears. He could be crying. He says, I can't help you. If I touch you, then I will break God's command. I am so sorry. I must keep going. So here's the priest. Here's the Levite who keeps God's word literally to the law. Not a, no crossed every T, dot every I, not because they're a bad person. So the expert of the law was going, he understood that. Well, I get it. I understand that. He's literal. That's what Sadducees do. They are literal in the word. But then here comes a third traveler. Now, if you're sitting here today and you're sitting here listening to what's taking place, automatically in your mind, you say there's a priest who serves in the temple. There's a Levite that serves the priest in the temple. And then who do you think the third character would be? The third character would be a Jewish layman who is in the community, who helps serves the Levite, who helps serves the priest, who helps serves in the temple. So automatically, automatically, if you're sitting there, you're thinking, oh, here comes a Jewish layman and he's gonna do the same thing. But Jesus doesn't throw out a Jewish layman. He flips the script. What do you think if Jesus said a Pharisee came? What do you think a Pharisee would have done if he walked up? Jesus don't even use Pharisee here. What do you think a Pharisee would have done? You know what a Pharisee would have done? Majority of the Pharisees would have been down and they would have helped because they believe the greatest. And that was the debate that was happening. What's the greatest thing? Human life is greater than any law because every human was created in the image of God. And the most godliest thing we can do is help a dying person live. The majority of the Pharisees would have helped him. But Jesus didn't even use the Pharisee. He uses something that catches everyone off guard and shocks everyone in the story. Oh, this gets good. This gets good. Look what happens. Verse 33. But a Samaritan... And I bet you when he said Samaritan, everyone cringed because they're enemies of the Jews. They hated each other, literally hated each other. And now all of a sudden Jesus flips the script. You know, he could have said Jewish layman or he could have went to Pharisees, but he goes to a Samaritan? What are you trying, are you kidding me? A Samaritan who was traveling came to where the injured man was, who was a Jew, by the way. And when he saw him, and here, this is when everything changes, he felt compassion for him. See, this is where it changes. He felt loved. And let me tell you something, the Samaritan, they understood God's word. They understood God's law. They, were, they, they knew the Torah. They had the stuff to it. They get it. But through the law out the window, through this theology out the window, because a human life is the most sacred thing because it's created in the image of God. Whether this is my enemy a Jew doesn't matter. It's a human life created in the image of God. And he throws it out the window. And look what happens in verse 34. He went up to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring olive oil on them, wine on them. Then he put on him and on his, his own animal. And he took him to an inn, like a little motel or hotel. And he took care of him. And the next day, he took two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. They paid for it. And whatever else you spend, charge it to my account. Put it on my tab. I will repay it when I come back this way. If you would have been sitting there today and you heard this story, your mouth would have dropped to the ground. 
And you would wonder why in the world would Jesus even use this? And I love the teaching. Look what he says. First, he was stripped, beaten, abandoned, and robbed. What does the Samaritan do? He finishes the story. He binds what was stripped. He puts balm on what was beaten. He was abandoned, but he took him to an end. He was robbed, but he gave me money back to take care of him. That's how Jesus taught stories. And then he goes on and he asked this question. And here it is, here it is. All that to say that, verse 36. Which of these three, see this is what a Jewish teacher would do. They want you to answer the question. They want you to come to the conclusion yourself. They want you to find the answer in the story. That's why some, when Jesus spoke his parables, some of them didn't understand it. They couldn't see it. They were blinded by it. But some saw and go, that's me. That's what I need. Jesus says, out of these three, who do you think became a neighbor to the man who fell in the hand of the robbers? And the expert in the law, this is so crazy, the expert in the law muttered these words. <clears throat> the one who showed mercy to him. Say a little loud for me. Um, the one that showed mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, then you go and you do the same. This is unreal. This is an expert in the law. Jesus removed the circle. The expert says, draw a circle for me. Can I love these people? Can I love these people? Which one of these guys are my neighbor? Jesus says, there is no circle. He removes completely the circle. And this really shows the expert heart not keeping the law. He's an expert in the law, right? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Why? He could not even utter the word Samaritan. He just says, the one who showed compassion, the one who showed mercy. He wouldn't even say the name Samaritan. That tells you. And you want to be an expert in the law? You think, it's you, you think you're right with God? Do you, you see this? So Jesus allows him to answer his own question. But here's something that the expert missed. When you go look at those two famous passage right there in Luke 19, if he would just kept writing down. And verse 34, it says this, the resident foreigner who lives with you must be to you as a what? A native citizen who lives among you. You must love the foreigner as yourself. And Jesus called the Samaritan a foreigner, which equivalent them to Gentiles. You must love the foreigner. Watch this. He says it right here in the, in the, in the text. As you love yourself, because, don't miss this, you were once foreigners in Egypt. I love this, because Jesus basically said, don't forget where you come from, bro. You know why you should love others? Remember how far gone you were? And I loved you, and I died for you, and I came for you. You remember when you turned your back on me, when you sinned against me, when you lied against me, when you blasphemed me? Remember that? And I came, I came back and I saved you. I got you. Remember that? Don't forget where you've come from. You used to be in bondage, but now you've been set free. And if you've been set free, then you should be set free to love people who haven't been set free yet. Oh, snap. Don't forget where you come from. See, the expert of the law, he overlooked that. And it was the Samaritan who behaved in accordance to the Torah, to the law. And here's the reality. As a disciple of Jesus, as a follower of the way, as a follower of Jesus, right? That's what this series is about. We want to become a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. He says, then you must love in the exact same way. Let, let me ask you this. 
I know a lot of times you think love your enemies, love people who are in need, and that is true. People have hurt you and wronged you, like I hate them or I'm, I have grudge against them and, and I'm mad at them and I want evil against them and I hope God brings harm to them and you, you have those people in your life that you may hold those grudges against. And we can go and say, Jesus said, no, 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 no. If you're going to be a follower of me, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, you, you've got to be able to release that and let that grudge go. It's called forgiveness. You've got to let that go. But I don't want to let it go. Then Jesus, did you want to be my disciple? You really want to follow after me? And then we could go to the other end and say, every time you see people in need, you should help them. And that is true. That is true. I love what uh, uh, Pastor Trevor would say. Anyone in need is a neighbor indeed. That'll rhyme. You should tweet that and, and, and give him credit for that, right? Anyone who's in need, that's a neighbor indeed. Help them. I get that. And there's, listen, there is need all around. And because of your generosity, almost $20,000. Better Life Church has been able to help people through this COVID-19. Are you kidding me? Come on, man. That is amazing because of your generosity that you're not give to the church, you give through the church and God is using you to be a blessing to minister to the people around you because there's a lot of needs. There will always be needs. And when we read that passage, I was thinking about this and praying through this, Lord, because this is a very familiar story. Most of you could probably know the story. You quote the story, you memorize the story. That, that's great. But I think sometimes the people that we overlook as our neighbor is the people sitting right there in your living room. It's the people right here that's your family, immediate. Let me give you an example. We could talk about neighbors and love people who hurt us and wrong us or in need. Well, listen to me. For every husband, you may be having marital problems right now. You need to go love your wife again. She needs you to love her again. And you think the great and the good Samaritan is people out here and, and help the poor and the widows and people in need and all this stuff. That is, and we do, and we are doing that, and we all should do that. But are you loving your wife the way that she deserves to be loved? And I know something I'm saying. My wife don't deserve to be loved that way. See, we become just now just like the expert of the law. I'm going to try to justify myself. I'm right. I should hold this grudge against her. I'm right. I should say that to her. You want to be a follower of Jesus? Then you love your wife as Christ loves the church. Listen to me, ladies. Some of you need to go love your husband again. And you're sitting right there on the sofa with them. And you gather the kids together and you get around and make sure everything seems okay, but you know it's not okay. And you need to go love your husband again. Your husband is that neighbor. You need to behave as that neighbor to show that love again. And I know right now there's time that we've all been home together and quarantined together and staying together. And hopefully I've heard married couples say, we've never talked this much before. But the opposite of that could be true too. We never fight as much before because we're around each other so much. Maybe your wife is the neighbor, your husband's neighbor, and you need to learn to love each other again. Listen to me, teenagers sitting there on, on the sofa. Listen to this on the podcast, whatever you're doing. You need to love and respect your parents. Maybe you'll go out and serve and bless the people around you, but then you don't respect your parents and you don't love your parents. You're mad at your parents because they take your phone and don't want you to go this and, and try to keep you from doing this. And they know what's best for you, but they don't want you to do this, but you won't listen. You try to rebel. You need to love your parents, right? We're going to be followers of Jesus. We're going to be disciples of Jesus. Then how can we go love the world if we didn't love the people sitting around the TV right now watching this with us? 
Some of you need to love your family members. There's been some things between you two. And Jesus says, you want to be my disciple? Behave. Like the good Samaritan. Behave in a way that shows love. You be the neighbor. But they don't deserve it. That's not, that, that, none of us deserve it. It's called grace. You didn't deserve God's love and mercy either. Love them as I've loved you. Some of you have co-workers and you're about to go back to work with them. Or maybe you are going back to work with them. And you've been trying to give them the church, but you don't love them the way that Christ asked you to love them. Are you being a neighbor? Are you loving people the way Jesus loves you and he asks us to love the people around us? It's so, listen to me, listen to me, listen. It, when you see a need, it's one thing to go meet that need and help that person, bless that person, right? Check that person, drop a 20 of that person, buy food for that person, or whatever it may be for you when you see a need and you, and you help them or you love them or, and you do that stuff. But what about the people sitting around you right now? Listen, it starts there in that nucleus. It starts right there in your living room. Actually, it starts right there in your heart. You want to follow Jesus, be a disciple to Jesus? Let's prove to the world that we're disciple followers of Jesus by loving people around us. And when we start to show that love, listen, that love flows over to people we don't even know. Even to your worst enemy. Even to the person who hurt you, who walked on you, who don't love you. At least you think they don't love you. And maybe that story flips the script and Jesus says to you, go and do the same thing. Go and be a neighbor. That was the wrong question. Who is my neighbor? Jesus like, are you acting like a neighbor? Go be a neighbor and serve the people around you. I'm gonna close with this, John 15. Go back, here we have John 15, verse 13. No one has greater love than this, okay? What's that? What's great love look like? The one that lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I've commanded you to be an obedient. I no longer call you slaves because slaves don't understand what their master is doing, but I've called you friends. Jesus calls you friends because I've revealed to you everything I've heard from my father. You did not choose me. Remember that. I chose you. And I appointed you to do what? Go bear fruit. Fruit does what? Proves I'm a disciple. What's fruit? Love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. We go on. I'm going to go bear fruit. I'm going to show, prove that I am a disciple. This fruit that remains. So whatever you ask, the Father in my name will give to you. And here's the command. This is what I command you. What is it? Here's the command. To love one another. Define love. He just did. And the story of the compassionate Samaritan. You love people, even as your enemy. You bless people even if they're your enemy. And one of the greatest ways we could show Jesus' love to the people around us is to love them, serve them, and bless them by being generous to them. And if you want to be like Jesus, and you want to follow Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus, you better find a way to serve the people around you and the people even you don't know and bless them and be generous to them. And it displays this love. And what happens, people say, why do they love me so much? What's different about him, about her? And you'll have an opportunity to point them to Jesus. I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads just for a moment. Are you being a neighbor? Are you more concerned like the expert of the law? Like, I know the law. I know what God's word says, but I'm not going to do it. I know I should forgive someone, but I'm not going to forgive them. I know I should bless them and be generous, but I'm not going to do that. Do you know it, but don't do it? 
Are you being a neighbor to your wife, to your kids, to your husband, to your coworker, to your coach, to your boss, to your roommate, your classmate? We can go on and on and on. Go be a neighbor. Show them Jesus. And when they see Jesus in you, they'll know something's different. And it will prove that you are a follower of the way, a disciple of Jesus. Maybe for you, you're watching this or you're listening to it. And you've never surrendered your life to him. That's where it all begins. You can't love people the way that God wants you to love them until you've experienced the unconditional love of Jesus. And you could do that right now where you are. You can cry out to him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And right where you sit or watch, or maybe this is a rebroadcast somewhere you listen to, you found it on YouTube and you just made it this far through it. It's not by accident or coincidence. You need to experience the unconditional love of God. Jesus says, I will forgive you of all your sins. Everything you've ever done, everything you've said, everything you've done and will do, I will forgive you of all your sins. You just need to put your faith and trust in me. I've laid my life down for you because I love you. Even when you were still sinning, even in the midst of your sin, I love you. Why would you neglect such a great salvation? Would you cry out to the Lord right where you sit and say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And as best as I know how, right now, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Now help me follow you all the days of my life. If that's you, and you just prayed that prayer, I'm going to encourage you to let me know. You can email me right now at pastor at betterlife.church. I'd love to know. In just a moment, there's going to be a phone number going to come up on the screen. You're going to be able to text to it live. And what that's going to do is we're going to follow up. We're going to send you some resources as you begin to walk with Jesus. We want to help you. It's our mission to help you follow Jesus and help you take a next step. And today's next step is we want to encourage you to love like Jesus. Love people unconditionally. Love the people around you. Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. What a beautiful story written a couple thousand years ago applied to our life today. And Father, I know that sitting at home, there may be problems and things that work that are problems. But Lord, I pray that you would help us and give us the power to love the people around us just the way that you love them. Help us see them through your eyes so that we could display this agape love to the people around us. We love you, Jesus. It's your name we ask and we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at Better Life Church. If you'd love to discover more about how you can take your next step with Christ, we'd love for you to visit betterlife.church slash next steps. There you will find help and resources for whatever step God has for you. If you enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to subscribe and be part of our community. You can also join us live on Sundays or find more resources at betterlife.church. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.